here. And I want to let you know God loves you. And He came to this earth not to condemn you. You were already condemned. We we're born sinners. We don't have to do anything to condemn ourselves. We don't have to do anything to die and go to hell. God came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to purchase something from uh, for us that, that He did not owe, but we did. And what a joy to know on this, on this Father's Day morning uh, that the Lord Jesus Christ came to save sinners. And uh, I'm glad He doesn't wait till we're good to save us, because the Bible says there is none good, no, not one. Not one of us. I'm glad He doesn't wait till we earn it. Because what kind of price can you put on your soul? It's a priceless thing. There's no way any of us could ever earn salvation. I'm thankful that He gives it to us freely. All we have to do is have the faith to trust Him, to put our faith in Him, to what He's done on Calvary, His death, His burial, His resurrection, as payment that satisfies the justice of a holy God as payment for our sin. And I hope and I pray that you will make that decision today if you've never done so, that you'll put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust Him to save you. If you're trusting anything else, trusting uh, church membership or the fact that you were baptized as a child or uh, the fact that you grew up uh, in a good home and didn't do a whole lot of bad things, can I tell you, you're still lost. It's not going to get you to heaven. In fact, if we could live our entire life doing nothing but righteous things and took them and stood before God one day and said, we deserve to be in heaven because of all of our righteousness, He would look at them and say, they're filthy rags. I'm thankful that when He looks at what Christ did on Calvary, He looks at that as absolute, 100% payment in full for all of my sin and all of your sin. If we'll simply trust Him today, He'll give us that forgiveness of sin. He'll allow that penalty to be paid. And we can stand before a holy God. The Bible uses the term justified. And I can come before God and to Him, it's just as if I had never sinned. I have full access to Him. And the Hebrews tells us then that we can come boldly to the throne of grace. We can find mercy and help in time of need. And I don't know about you, but there's a lot of times I have to come to that throne. And I'm glad that I have access through the Lord Jesus Christ. And um, I hope that will be an encouragement to you today. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, you don't know if you were to die today that you would go to heaven, I'd urge you and encourage you to make that decision today. No greater decision in your life that you can make. What shall it profit a man, the Bible says, if he should gain the whole world? and lose his own soul. Nothing in this world is, is worth dying and going to hell for. Nothing in this world is worth the price of our soul. And that's what makes the, the precious gift of the Lord Jesus Christ even that much more precious. To realize the pricelessness of a, of a man's soul. Well, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 6 this morning. I don't always, on special days, theme a message for the day. Uh, however, today's probably going to be a little bit different. I'm going to preach primarily to men today. But can I tell you this, that the principles that will be preached from the Lord's Word are applicable to every single Christian. 
And while we'll, we're going to direct our thoughts primarily to men with it being Father's Day today, uh, and certainly I believe a, a needful message for the day that we live in, um, I want to encourage each of us to listen because there are many, many things that, from the passages and from the verses that we can uh, benefit from in our own lives. Look with me, if you will, in Ephesians chapter number 6. And uh, let's go to verse number 10 to begin with. And Paul is wrapping up his uh, letter to the Ephesians, the church in Ephesus. By the way, uh, these are literal letters that Paul wrote to specific New Testament churches that were in practice today. It'd be similar to if uh, the doors would open uh, today and, uh, I don't know, FedEx or somebody walk in the door and uh, bring us a letter, and it'd be from the Apostle Paul. And he says, I, I want to address the church in Festus, and uh, this church, uh, Keith the Heights Baptist Church, I want to give some words to you. When we come to the Bible, understand that we have in our hands not just something that contains God's Word only, but are the actual words God intends for us to have. And I hope every time we come to Scripture, we think of it just as specifically as if someone were to walk into our house and hand us a letter from God saying, this is what I want you to know. Because every time we come to His Word... We open His mind and we understand what He has for us. And this is God's way of speaking to us, by the way. The day that we live, God doesn't audibly speak to us anymore. He no longer gives visions. He speaks to us through His Word. We have The Bible refers to it as a more sure word of prophecy. Uh, even beyond the verbal and even beyond the, the visual uh, uh, revelation that these men got in these days we have a more sure word of prophecy in His Word. And we can rest our souls on it. I'm glad we have something we can anchor to that we know is steadfast and sure. And that is the Word of God. Let's look in verse 10, if you will, as he finishes up his letter. <coughs> he leaves them with a final thought. And he says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Father, I pray that you would bless the message this morning and speak to our hearts, guide us and direct us, and may your Holy Spirit embed in our hearts, our minds today, something that we will take with us, that we will take heed to and apply to our hearts and to our lives. Never in my lifetime has there been a more needful time for a message like this for men and women of God. I pray that you would help us to understand the impact and the full uh, urgency of this issue today. And may we apply it to our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to focus on a couple of things that Paul says here. We're not going to spend time uh, today. There have been a number of messages preached on the whole armor of God and and they've all done uh, very well uh, on teaching those things. And today, uh, we're not going to be looking at the specific armor of God and teaching on that. I want to focus in primarily 
on the charge that Paul gives to the church at Ephesus, we find it uh, initially given in verse number 10 and then finalized in verses, uh, verses uh, 13 and 14. And that is this. He says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. We're living in a day where it seems to me that the tendency of God's people, and I'm talking about even men who stand in pulpits, I'm talking about people who read their Bibles regularly and attend church regularly. Around our country as a whole, we're looking at men and women of God who are weak in this area of standing strong in the power of the Lord and in His might. And uh, Paul urges the church at Ephesus, they were certainly living in trying times. They were certainly living in times of persecution against the Christians. And there was time for them to make a choice or a decision. We're either going to remain faithful to the things of God, or we're going to allow them to slip for our comfort, for our ease, for the purpose of not going through the persecution that so many are going through, uh, for the purpose of not being ridiculed or called names. I just would rather just not, not have to hold to these things. And Paul challenges this church. And he says, listen, this is not a time for us to step back and for us to, to take the life of ease and the, 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 the path of least resistance when it comes to the things of the Lord. But he says, this is a time for you to stand strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. He explains why. We're not wrestling, and it's amazing uh, how many times uh, men, and men especially, as we uh, get into our teen years, upper teen years, early 20s, uh, we like to focus on uh, strength, and boy, we're we're going to build our muscles. And a lot of times, we uh, pay good money to gyms and and try to try to build uh, muscles. I am really big on exercise. Uh, I'm big about not doing it at all. Um, I do. I've told folks before. I do do uh, sit-ups. I do one sit-up a day, and in the morning I sit up, and at night I lay back down, and that's enough for me. Uh, I have a philosophy about exercise equipment, and that is if you had the character to use it, you probably wouldn't need it. Uh, you'd be out there working and laboring so much, and, and with your hands, you probably wouldn't need the exercise equipment. But I remember a day in my life where physical fitness and strength was kind of a, a priority of my life. And there is some profit to that, there's no doubt. I think we ought to take better care of our bodies, especially your pastor should. Uh, and God speaks of the fact that there is some benefit, but it's not the main thing. It's amazing to me how many times we put the emphasis, and, and some of us will, will go out here and we'll labor and we'll sweat and we'll, we'll have sore muscles and we'll hurt ourselves sometimes, and we'll go through excruciating things and put our bodies through such a turmoil to gain physical strength. And yet when it comes to strength of the inner man, the things that matter, we give very little attention to it. It's amazing how often we're in the day that we live, we're uh, bombarded by even good men, and we consider good men to be those that have at least a little character. Because we see a society today that is almost exempt of character. They have no character at all. And so when we find someone with a little bit of character or a little bit of integrity, uh, we, we say, well, that's a great man. That's a good man. He's a moral man. But there was a day... When men would strive to be pleasing to the Lord in things. I'm talking about people who maybe were not even faithful to go to church. They still understood and knew that there was a moral uh, uh, absolute that God had given in Scripture that they were to live by and not to cross the line on. 
And we're living in a day where that, that line has not only been uh, erased and, and eroded over time, but it is so far removed from society today that we now have a society that takes things that God says are right and it calls them wrong. And we have a society today that calls <clears throat> the things that God says are an abomination and are wrong, the society looks at and says, these things are right. And, and it's easy for us to... to uh, uh, criticize our society, the hard part is to find out where did society go wrong. Our country was founded on men of character, men who came in and endured the hardships of a, of a new land and a new country. They, they opened up and they <coughs> pioneered the wilderness and endured physical things, but they were men of strong character, strong morals that were based on Scripture and even if they did not hold to the things uh, of going to church and, and dealing with those things, they at least understood there was a God in heaven that had an absolute right and an absolute wrong. And we're living in a day where I want to challenge the men of our church. And, and, and ladies, uh, stay with us because it applies to you too. But I want to speak to the men. Because God has given men the role of being the head of the whole. He's the one that is to be the leader, the spiritual leader. A wife ought not to be dragging her wife, to, uh, her husband to church. The husband ought to get up and say, listen, we're going to church today, or we're going to read our Bible today, or we're going to pray today. And it's important that men take the spiritual role in the home once again. If we can take, uh, get a society that will have men take a spiritual role in the home, we'll find that we will have a country that will begin to come back to God and to seek God. Until those times are seen, we're going to continue to see our society spiral out of control. Why? Because men have neglected this thing of being strong in the Lord. Notice it doesn't tell us to be strong in and of ourselves. It's not dealing here with physical strength. But Paul tells the church to be strong in the Lord. And then he goes on to say this, that there's going to be a requisite. There's going to be something that is needful if we're going to be strong in the Lord, if we're going to be men of character and men that, that have some spiritual aptitude to us and have some form of desire or inclination towards the things of God and godliness and to be examples to our folks, there's going to be something that is going to be required. And he tells us that in verse number 10. As he says, be strong in the Lord. And then he makes this statement, and in the power of whose might? His might. The power of His might. Because the truth is, we are sinful creatures. Our nature is to do that which is wrong. Uh, our aptitude, the appetites of, of our natural man are to go after the things that are contrary to God. That's where we used to be before we were saved. Our, our hearts had no Lord over them. They had no rule over them. We did what we saw was right in our own eyes. And then we got saved. And the Holy Spirit of God quickened us, made something alive in us that wasn't there before. It was the Holy Spirit of God that came to indwell us. And suddenly, the desires began to change in us. Have you noticed that? It may have been quick for some. It may have been taken time for some. But the desires began to change. All of a sudden, there were things that we were comfortable with before that we're not comfortable with anymore. And then all of a sudden, there were things that, that we saw, I should be doing some things here. Because we read in Scripture that these things would please God. And our desires begin to change. The sad fact of the matter is, after we get saved in that initial surge of having something that's new inside of us that we didn't have before, something that was fresh, something that was driving us, something that was strengthening us, we failed to nurture 
the strength of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And there were times that we began to quench and to grieve Him. And as soon as that took place, we began to drift back again. And though we were saved, we began to weaken. We began to follow after, once again, the fleshly nature. So that we have churches today that will stand up and publicly proclaim that they support things that are continuously mentioned in Scripture as an abomination to God, as something that grieves Him and displeases Him. And the church, the one, the thing that God gave Himself for, that He loved more than anything. In fact, He tells husbands to love their wives the same way that Christ loved the church and gave Himself for it. That very institution that He loved so dearly and so preciously as now under the leadership of men who have not remained strong in the Lord and in the power of His might, have led those churches to a place of worldliness again and to even things that are contrary to the things of God. He tells us in verse 12, the reason that we need the strength of the Lord is because this is not an enemy that we can see and fight. If it was physical strength, I can find somebody out here that did me wrong and I can go up to him and I can punch him in the nose. And after they pick me back up off the ground after he punches me back, I could probably have another swing at him. But the reason that we have to have the strength of the Lord and not our own strength is because we don't see the enemy that we're fighting. Notice what he says here in verse number 13. He says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. If we wrestled against flesh and blood, it would be easy for us to say, you know, I can go to the gym and I can, I can spend six months or a year and I can dedicate myself and I can, I can train and I can do all of this so that I can overcome that physical assailant. But we have, we have an enemy that is not seen. We have an enemy that many times we do not even pay attention to or give a thought to. And he says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And he says, there's a reason that you need the power of God. Because He's the one that can war in that warfare for us. He's the one that can strengthen us to be strong in these times of adversity when the wiles of the devil are hurled at us right and left. Rather than succumb to him, rather than, than throw up the white flag of surrender and allow it to continue, he tells them in verse number 13, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And he uses two different words here in verse 13 that I love. One of them is, he uses the word withstand, and then he says, And having done all to stand. There ought to be the purpose in man's heart that I'm going to be a man and I'm going to stand for the things that are right. And we need a revival in America of men that will stand up, whether they go to church or not, whether they, whether they uh, 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 are, are missionaries or preachers or Sunday school teachers or not. There needs to be a revival of men in America that will stand up and say, I'm going to stand for what is right according to God's Word. Men in the pews of our churches that need to rise up and say, I don't care what society is going to do, and I don't care what there is of a cost to me. I will stand for the things of God. But he uses a phrase here in verse 13 that I, I think it will do us well to look at for a little moment here. And that is the word withstand. It's one thing for us to purpose in our hearts and to make the decision to stand. 
But the idea of withstanding is something that will continue to take the battering and not be moved. I grew up in South Florida, and we have uh, down there we have what are called hurricanes. <clears throat> it's amazing to me the damage that these winds will have. And uh, we would sometimes hunker down in the, in the house that we had and uh, just try to wait out the storm if it, if it was a light enough storm, a Category 1 or 2. But Category 3, I'm out of town. Because while my house is built to stand, I don't expect it to fall down. And while my house is built even to withstand, there comes a point where even that house will begin to collapse under the strain. And the idea that Paul gives here, as he writes in verse number 13, is you can rest assured that the wiles are coming, the wrestling is coming, the battle is coming, they will attack our morals, they will attack those things that are right and that are wrong. And when that happens... We cannot cave, but we must brace for the storm. We must be men. We must stand firm. There was a day when men had the strength of character to do what was right regardless of the cost. Just recently, there was an anniversary that was observed of the sinking of the Titanic. And it's amazing, as I've read over the years, stories, heroic stories of the sinking of the Titanic. And I've shared this before. But it's interesting that one of the stewards that manned the lifeboats that day uh, was interviewed. He had been spared because he was in one of the lifeboats. He was interviewed by a reporter as he got to shore. And he, I was asked this question. He said, uh, I've been told that the cry on the deck was women and children first. And he asked the steward, he said, was that the law of the captain or the law of the sea? And the steward looked back to him and said, sir, that's just the law of nature. Men were designed to be firm, to be strong, to be resolute, to take a stand. And if it cost them something, so be it. They were going to do what was right. Another ship sunk recently in the, in the late 1900s called the Astoria. The cry on the deck that day was, Every man for himself. And men literally would rip life jackets from the women and the children and jump into the water to save themselves. Something in the last hundred years has changed in our society, and then we wonder why our society is in the mess it's in. It's because men, primarily, have refused to follow the teaching of Paul. He says, be strong in the Lord. The things that pertain to spiritual matters, be strong in them. Don't be weak-kneed. Don't allow your principles to be dictated by the, the constructs of society, by men who have accolades and, and academic uh, credit to their name and have um, uh, all these degrees that are given there. They are not the authority. God's Word is. They do not determine what is right for humanity and what is wrong for humanity. God's Word does. And when God tells us that men are to, are to be strong in the Lord, He tells them there in verse number 13, as He says, And having done all, put forth every ounce of strength that you have. Give every moment of resolve that you have to stand firm. He said, having done all to stand, stand therefore. Once you've taken every, every avenue you could, with every grit that you have in you. David's mighty men are men that I love to read about. I love to read about them. Some of the judges of Israel that did mighty works for God. 
there were men in Scripture who fought the battle so hard that when the battle was over, their hand claved to the sword. They couldn't even let go of it. Their arm was so wearied. The muscles had so locked onto it that they were not going to quit. They were not going to, they were not going to stop. Days where the armies would go and the, 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 the time of the day was coming to a close and the enemy was beginning to escape. And rather than say, well, we'll get them tomorrow, Joshua stands up and says, let the sun and moon stand still. We've got to win the battle. We've got to keep fighting. We've got to keep pushing. We've got to keep standing for the things that are right. Take your Bibles, if you will. Turn to me to Deuteronomy chapter number 6. Deuteronomy chapter number 6. There are some areas that I believe men specifically need to really look at to, to, to say, Lord, help us to be strong in these areas. Number one, I, I think we need to be strong in our character. We need to be strong in our character. Our character is what we are when nobody's looking. It's easy. Have you ever noticed this? It's so much easier to do right when people are watching than it is to do right when no one's watching. You know, it's so much easier to do right when it doesn't cost us something and it's convenient to do than it is to do right when we know it's going to cost us something. Let's look at Deuteronomy chapter number 6 for a moment. Verse number 5, he says, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. Can I tell you this? Uh, if we could ever grasp the truth of this one verse... The verse that when Jesus was asked in His earthly ministry, what is the greatest commandment in Scripture, this is the one He points to. He says it's the greatest one. He said, The second's like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And He said, On these two laws hang all the law and the prophets. Everything else is foundational to these two principles. Men, if we could ever learn this, you say, well... Uh, Pastor, you know, I, I try to be strong. I try to be a man. Do we love God with all of our heart? With all of our heart. Do we love the Lord with all of our soul? Do we love Him with all of our might? Everything we think, everything we do, everything we are, loves Him. You say, why is that important? Because of what they're going to be instructed to do here. He says, And these words which I shall command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Can I tell you this? Before men, before we can make a difference in our families, before we can make a difference in our countries, it's got to be in here. We cannot expect our society and our families to do something that we internally are not willing to do ourselves. And you say, well, Brother Greg, it's inconvenient. It's hard to do. I was talking to a teenage boy one time who was being very rebellious about some things. And I went to him and I said, listen, man, why are, you, why, are you, why are you doing everything you can to be rebellious? I said, here are these some, some young people that are trying to live for the Lord and all you can do is give them a hard time. I said, why are you doing that? He said, well, because they're, they're trying to do all this and that's, that doesn't take nothing. I said, okay, then you try to live like them. We got to talk and he got real quiet for a minute and I said, listen, why don't you? Why don't you for 30 days, and this is the challenge I gave him. It was about 2 o'clock in the morning we were talking. I said, listen, why don't you take the challenge for 30 days to give God 100% of everything you have 
You think you're so tough. You think you're so hard and you've got so much strength, so much influence over all these other things. Why don't you try to live for the Lord 100% for 30 days? You know what his comment to me was? It's too hard. It's too hard. And I looked at him and I said, but aren't you tough? Aren't you the one that can do anything? I said, you're going to sit here and tell me that to live for the Lord is harder than what you're doing right now? He said, I see what you're saying. And you know, he made a commitment to do that. The next morning we got on the bus. We were on a youth trip. He said, can I say something to the teenagers? And, you know, as a youth pastor, I'm, this is my rebellious kid. I'm like, what in the world? I don't know what he's going to say, but we'll, we'll give him a minute. Let's, let's he gets up there and he said, how many of you all got up at four this morning and read ten chapters in your Bible? <laughs> that wasn't quite what I was intending. But he took the challenge. He took the challenge. I have a picture of him. I still have it at the house. I have a picture of him, a school picture of him that was taken about three months before that time. And then I have a picture that was taken about two months after that time. I showed him to him one day. I said, do you see a difference in this young man? He said, oh, absolutely. He began to sit on the front row of our church services and brought a notebook, began to take notes in the, in the services, began to listen. Came out on a visitation program with the teenagers. I watched over the years. She became a tremendous soul winner and led a lot of folks to the Lord. I mean, hard, hard guys, guys he had run with. He did that for a number of years. Graduated high school, moved away. Just a few years later, I found out that he was back in prison for dealing drugs. Got in with the wrong crowd again. I thought, what in the world happened? He quit being strong. While he was doing things outwardly, it was not here. And he says in verse number 6, that these things shall be in thine heart. Notice verse number 7. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And notice verse 8, And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontless between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and on thy gates. Can I tell you that these men are told to do everything they can, to have diligence, to have strength, to have character. To have the inner man such that they can then turn around and teach their children, not just by word, but by example. They have, they have character about them. They do it when they're lying down. They do it when they're rising up. They do it when they're staying home. They do it when they're going out. This is not something they do when it's convenient. It's something they do because it's part of who they are. And we're in a need for God's men and those that name the name of Christ to rise up again and say, I'm going to be a man of God. I'm going, to, I'm going to follow the things of the Lord. I'm going to be strong in them. Because we have, a, we have a warfare, we have a wrestling that's going on, and we can't even see the enemy. We gripe and we uh, write posts and we share things with one another about how bad our society is getting, our country is getting, and we fail to look inwardly. Realize that a large part of why it's that way is because men... Fathers, dads, leaders of homes failed in this area. They lack in character. Can I say this? 
There needs to be revival of men in the area of their integrity. Be truthful. Be honest. Be right. Let your yea be yea and your nay be nay. You, you look a man in the eye. You give him a firm handshake and let your word be ironclad. We need men of leadership in the homes that will stand for their families. And when Satan tries to bring things into their homes, they say, no, it's not going to happen. There need to be men of faith. Turn with me, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter number 16. 1 Corinthians chapter number 16. Paul, once again, writing to the church in Corinth this time. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, let's look in verse number 13. Paul makes this statement. He says, Watch ye, watch ye, keep an eye out, be aware of these things, don't be caught off guard, watch ye, stand fast in the faith. There needs to be a revival of God's people saying, We're going to be watchful. We're going to be careful of these things happening right under our noses. Our society did not get to the place that it is today. Our children do not have, do not have to face the society that they're having to experience today because there were a bunch of watchful parents around. It's because there were a lot of parents who turned a blind eye. They're not having to go through the things that they're going through today because there were some men who stood up and said, that is wrong and it should not be. They're going through the world that they're going through today because there have been a lot of men who sat down and said, I don't want to make a, I don't want to make a big fuss. It's too easy to take the boat out to the lake for the weekend than to stand up and be firm on some things. To take their families to churches and teach them the moral truth of God's Word. It's too easy. He says this, Watch ye, stand fast in faith. He says, Quit you like men. Be strong. Come on, man. Stand up. Do, a, do the right thing. Be, be, be forthcoming. Have some strength in your backbone. Be men of character. Be men of integrity. Be men of faith. And I say this, be godly men. Men that are a shining example of Christ-likeness. Not only do your families need to see it, but this world needs to see it. Be men of courage. In Joshua uh, in one, chapter 1 and verse number 9, he says, Be strong and of a good courage. Over and over again, you find people telling uh, God's angels or, or God's messengers telling the people, Be strong and of a good courage. Be strong. Stand up. Be men. Be watchful. Be aware. Let's work. Let's have a mind to work. Let's do some things here that are right. Let's have some character about us. Turn to Psalm 1. I, I preached on this recently, and I'm not going to re-preach the chapter to you, but I do want to show you something from Psalm 1 this morning. The Bible talks about the blessed man in verses 1 and 2. We spoke about this. In verse 2 it says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in this law doth he meditate day and night. Sounds like a man who's diligent in this area of being godly. Tells him in verse number 1 that he's not going to walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Not going to listen to him. Not going to stand in the way of sinners. Not going to sit in the seat of the scornful. He abstains from those crowds. Notice what the Bible says in verse number 3. 
The Bible says, and he shall be like a shrub bush. Is that what your Bible says? No, no, no. He, he shall be like the little potted plant on the porch. Is that what it says? No, he's going to be like a what? He's going to be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither. Doesn't matter what adversity comes. It's not going to wither. And whatsoever he doeth shall what? Prosper. Why? Because he's given diligence to it. Look with me now in Jeremiah chapter 17, a parallel passage. Jeremiah chapter number 17, and look in verse number 5. The Bible says, Thus saith the Lord. Anytime you see a phrase like that in the Scripture, boy, I want to sit up and take very good notice. Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart, notice this, departeth from the Lord. For he shall be like the heath in the desert. Now there's the little scrub bush. There's the little hedge. There's the little potted plant. The man whose heart departeth from the Lord shall be like a heath in the desert. Notice what it says here. And shall not see when good cometh, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness in a salt land and not inhabited. There's no prosperity there. Blessed, though, in verse number 7, Blessed is the man who trusteth in the Lord. Now notice this in this phrase. It says, And in whose hope the Lord is. For he shall be, notice this phrase again, as a what? Tree planted by the waters that spreadeth out her what? Roots. You know what happens to the heath plant in the desert? I went out west a couple of years ago with my daughter. They have signs along the road. I didn't know this until I drove out there. They have signs along the road warning you of tumbleweeds. I didn't realize this, but they can apparently get hung up under your car. And when they're up against that catalytic converter and, and muffler, they can start a fire under your car going down the road. I, I saw all these tumbleweeds that had, had rolled over. They had fences along the highways trying to keep them off the road. I, I looked at them. I mean, thousands and tons of them. I mean, hundreds of thousands of them. Everywhere you look, these things are tumbling along. And I thought, you know, those things used to be planted somewhere, but they're not anymore. But then I look at a tree. I look at trees that have been there for a long time. I saw one the other day. I was looking up some things out in, in California. They consider it to be one of the oldest trees. It's got some roots. You can't tell me that that tree hasn't seen fire and drought and wind. But it had some roots. Boy, it had some roots. It dug those roots in deep and it began to grow. And it began to be a strong tree. Notice what it says here in verse number, verse number uh, ten. And it shall come to pass. Uh, I'm sorry, verse uh, Jeremiah chapter seventeen, verse number uh, eight. For he shall be as a tree planted by the waters that spreadeth out her roots by the river. Now notice what this one does. And shall not see when heat cometh. The persecution comes. The ridicule comes. The heat. The pressure doesn't phase it. Why? Because it's got some roots. It's standing fast. It's not going to change the tree. The tree's not going to all of a sudden say, well, I've been standing here for so long, but if I'm offensive to somebody, I'll move. It just stands there, doesn't it? It doesn't even see when the heat cometh. Notice what else he says here. But her leaves shall be green, and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. This tree just keeps right on doing what it's supposed to be doing, no matter what the adversity. Why? Because it's being strong in the Lord.
This is the blessed man. This is the man whose heart and hope is in the Lord. Not the man whose heart departed from the Lord. One last passage, if you'll bear with me. Daniel chapter number 3. Daniel chapter number 3. There were three young men who went into Babylonian captivity along with Daniel. Their Babylonian names were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Nebuchadnezzar was a prideful king prior to chapter number 4. He built an image to himself, and he said, I want everybody in the land to bow and to worship the image. He said, when the instruments play, I want want you to bow. So the instruments played, and everybody in the land bowed except these three boys. Some people that hated them for their stand for God came to the king and told them, told the king, said there were some that didn't bow. The king had them called in, and he said, listen, you guys might not have understood the, the instructions. When the music plays, you bow. Now, I'm going to play the music again. I want to see you bow. And the boy said, well, wait a minute, we're not going to do that. Notice what it says here in verse number 7 of chapter 3. Therefore, at the time when all the people heard the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and all kinds of music, all the people of the nations and the languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Wherefore, at the time, certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. They spake and said to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Thou, O king, hast made a decree that every man shall, uh, that shall hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoso falleth not down and worship him, that he should be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace." These boys knew what was, what was the result of their stand. Could we say it this way this morning? They knew that their stand was going to cost them. And it was going to cost them dearly. There are certain Jews, verse 12, whom now set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar in his rage and fury commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. <clears throat> then they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true? And he questions them about it. He gives them another opportunity. Now, now follow with me for a minute. Nebuchadnezzar was not just another king. Nebuchadnezzar at this point in history is the most powerful man in the world. He controlled a world empire, one of the four great ones. He was the most powerful man in the world. Literally, at the, at the sound of his voice or the snap of his fingers, could have a man literally chopped to bits and killed. He came up with unbelievable, torturous things to, to take care of those that re, 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 would go against him and would rebel against him. In this particular case, he said, we're going we're to take you out to the rub heat, rubbish heap where we burn the trash, this big furnace we have out here outside of town, and we're going to throw you in there with the trash and let you burn. These boys knew that when they made their decision. It's important for us to understand this. It had been one thing for them to stand for the Lord not knowing what the result would be. These boys knew what the result would be, didn't they? 
He gives them another chance. And then verse number 16, if you will, for sake of time, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. And that word careful there in the Old English was literally full of care. We have no anxiety in this. It's not even a decision for us. We're not full of care. We're not, we don't have anxiety here. We're, we're not even worried about this answer we're going to give to you. That's what they're telling the king. We are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And that shows a great amount of faith, doesn't it? <coughs> and He will deliver us out of thy hand, O king. They were not making a false statement there. They knew that by life... For by death, God was going to deliver them. By the way, it would do us well to understand that. By life or by death, we will be delivered from this sinful world. He says, and I want you to notice what it says here. They had confidence that God would deliver them, but I want you to notice what they said. And this is something that some young men, young men that were men, they said in verse number 18, but if not, if God chooses not to deliver us on this side of heaven, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Can I submit to you today, we need some more men like this today. During World War II, there's such a display of character and integrity, I think one of the great, great generations of our time. I think comparable to the group of men who fought the world's most powerful empire at the time and established a new country here during the Revolutionary War. There was a group of the English military, the British military, that were pinned down in Dunkirk. Hollywood, I think, recently in the last several years has tried to do a, a historical uh, in a movie or documentary on it or some, something about Dunkirk. But the truth of the matter is the entirety of what was left of the British military was pretty well pinned down and, and, and trapped in Dunkirk. The, uh, the uh, uh, Germans had surrounded them. They had broken all of the codes. And so the men in England could not even get word back to England without the Germans knowing every move they were going to make. One of the young men that was there that day, as the, the, the situation was becoming more and more bleak, he was a radio operator, and he asked his commander, he said, I'd like to try something. And he said, I think it may work. And so he radioed back to Britain three words. But if not. That's all he radioed. They were looking at every code book they had back in the island of Great Britain. They could not find anything. And they were scratching their heads, what, what could this thing mean? And there was a radio operator in Great Britain said, Sir, I think I know what it means. And he went and got a Bible. He turned to Daniel 3. He said, These men are saying we need to be delivered, and we believe we'll be delivered. But if not, we're not going to surrender. We'll be pushed into the, into the ocean before we do that. Men that would give such character for an earthly cause. How much more important is it for men 
to give that much character and effort to a godly cause. To say to this world, to the prince and the power of the air, we're not going to bow. Our God will deliver us. But if not, we're going to stand strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. And having done all to stand, we're going to stand therefore. Folks, it needs to start somewhere. And I can think of no better place than in Keith Hyde's Baptist Church. Some men to stand up and say, I don't care what the cost is. I'm going to stand firm. I'm going to be steadfast. I'm going to be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Let's stand together, shall we, with heads bowed. What does it take to make us quit? Some, some things are very, very light. It doesn't take much. But we're in need today of some men to rededicate their hearts.